0: host Effie Pilarino and I have the great pleasure today to be in a wonderful company of a fintech lady from Hong Kong, Helen Lee. Welcome, Helen.
1: Hello, Effie. Hello, everyone. You know, delighted to be joining uh, this discussion with you, Effie. Thank you for having me.
0: Now for our guests, um, Helen Lee is the co-founder of uh, Go Impact She comes uh, from uh, the traditional financial world with a very long career. I met her um, in the last um, five, six years when she was at BNB Paribas. Uh, She she left about two years ago, uh, I believe, to launch Go Impact. And of course, we'll be talking uh, about um, the vision and um, the activities of uh, Go Impact. What I want uh, to mention um, is that Helen ranks uh, very often in in the company of uh, other um, major influencers in the sustainability space, in the impact space with Helen Clark, the former New Zealand Prime Minister with Melissa Fleming from the United Nations with Dr. Jennifer Williams, the the director of Take Action. So so Helen is one of those wonderful uh, ladies that are also involved in uh, um, the FinTech Association in Hong Kong. So I I think uh, the short introduction leads to to handing it over to you, Helen, and tell us really your vision about uh, Go Impact.
1: Thank you, Effie. Uh, You know, it's really an honor to be mentioned together with all those illustrious names. Um, And I think, you know, what drives me to start Go Impact after a long career in banking, as you said, uh, that spans from a Wall Street giant to, as you mentioned, BNP Paribas, was really the, the momentum that I see among asset owners because I was working in private banking. Uh, most of my career and I hear a loud and clear message from the asset owners that they would like to shift a significant portion of their portfolio into investing sustainably and not just into a green bond here and there but really having you know um, an offering a portfolio that makes sense that drives financial return as well as making a positive impact with the capital that they you know have on hand. However, there are still lots of disconnects, you know, if we look at it, you know, investing sustainably have not really been easy. So starting Go Impact was really envisioned to be a platform to, you know, uh, make impact made easy. And uh, that's really, in a nutshell, sustainable investing, I think ESG can mean so many different things to so many different people. There are lots of myths uh, that have to be Clarified, But I think, you know, for me, to put it really short, uh, briefly, sustainable investing is about investing in a future you like to live in or your future generation like to live in. So, you know, whether it be environmental, social governance, it's really investing in that future you like to see and to be part of.
0: It's very interesting because this really in my mind requires a paradigm shift where you know there's no silos between where we grow our financial uh, wealth uh, whether it's small or or big you know and and how we live our life and what our principles are because in in our generation there was clearly a disconnect and, and when we were talking about alpha generation and so on, we were really only focusing on the strict financial aspect and ignoring uh, anything else. Um, where do you see this paradigm shift right now? Where is it in its evolution? Is it, have we just scratched the surface? And I'm not talking about investing. I'm talking about, as you said, the capital owners the mindset, the paradigm shift?
1: Okay, that's a very interesting question. Uh, I think there are two aspects to that. Before COVID, okay, and right now the situation with COVID still being unfolding in various parts of the world. Why do I say COVID is like a watershed line? Because COVID has been a big accelerator uh, and also it exposed so many of the cracks we have in our systems that we really forced us to look at you know, this paradigm shift that you were talking about. Because before COVID, uh, various people can still hide in a comfort zone or stay in a comfort zone. This is how I've been doing things. This is how my business has have been running for so many years. Uh, you know, I, yeah, sustainability is very important, but I really don't see that happening uh, anytime very soon uh, in terms of you know, my portfolio. But hey, look, COVID, all of a sudden, you know, nobody anticipated the extent uh, and the seriousness of this. It has really forced everybody to look at, is my portfolio sustainable? Uh, you know, are the companies that I'm investing in, are they actually sustainable? Because apart from the environmental, social, and governance, the ESG impact, it has an impact on my financial return it has an impact on my portfolio's return. So it, it, it makes sense for me to revisit all that very closely with a different set of lens, okay? With not just a traditional set of lens that looks after quarterly returns, that looks after chasing the yields uh, really at the expense of everything else. Uh, everything else comes secondary. So I think COVID has really been a big accelerator in that. If you look at the fl- inflows into ESG funds, last year, it really peaked, you know, uh, for, you know, it was like something like 30, 40 uh, percent compared to the year before. Why? The reason is not because all of a sudden people are waking up to the fact there is ESG. There has always been a lot of talk about ESG, but I think people are moving from the marketing to the mainstream, finally. ESG was a marketing agenda. It was a very useful and uh, you know, convenient marketing agenda at conferences, at forums. It's a good agenda for any financial institution to be associated with okay? But whether you can actually adopt it, whether you can actually bring it to reality is another thing. So finally, I think we are seeing a momentum to shift it from marketing to mainstream.
0: It's interesting, Helen, what you're saying. I was looking at um, a report that looks at the uh, robo-advisors, um, and, and performance annual performance, uh, it's a report by back end uh, benchmark, um, and I, I looked at it um, as I do every year, and, and you know looked at the main insights. And what was very interesting is that um, obviously all robo advisors, uh, especially in the U.S., you know the, the big ones they included ESG portfolios in the model portfolios that they offer. But what was interesting is that that is where the performance came from. So basically, you looked across the board, whether it's, you know, um, the Morgan Stanley's uh, uh, or, or the betterments of the world, their performance in 2020 came mainly from the ESG portfolios.
1: Absolutely. Just to add to that, if you look at the indices, S&P 500 versus S&P ESG uh, in 2020, the S&P ESG have outpaced the traditional S&P 500 by as much as 3.8, I think, percent. So that is a reflection of the kind of um, inflows, if you like, and the performances of the company that have been filtered through an ESG lens. I keep saying ESG is not just financial return, it's actually also a risk mitigation thing because you can mitigate risk by applying an ESG lens through your portfolio that you do not invest in companies that are likely or building up to a scandal uh, being erupted uh, very shortly. You are likely to be able to avoid those investments had you built in an ESG integration Uh, into your portfolio, which is I think more and more what we're looking at. It's not the traditional exclusion. So I don't invest in ammunition. I don't invest in tobacco. It's more than that. It's really about ESG integration into your portfolio that will actually help to achieve, honestly, the the funding gap that we see uh, being talked about in achieving the the 17 sustainable development goals, the 17 SDGs uh, by 2030.
0: And also, you know, it, it takes us away from this mania that we have about unicorns and, and high growth companies and shifts it towards what I would call the zebras, you know, that are uh, um, looking after the pack and also have a smoother um, uh, long term Uh, um, uh, uh, earnings or profits and and sustainable growth in the practical sense.
1: Uh, Absolutely. I think unicorns are pretty much Uh, a kind of, you know, know, legendary animal, whether unicorns really do exist or not uh, is anybody's guess. Uh, No one has really seen a unicorn, uh, except in the fintech industry, uh, maybe we label them unicorns. Uh, But I think more and more we're looking at camels, you know, because camels are resilient. Camels can go through very tough period, uh, very tough markets, go through a long period of drought, whereby maybe revenue streams are trickling in, if you're lucky. Uh, And I think more we should be looking at that kind of resilience, uh, you know, building up that resilience rather than an exponential growth uh, that, you know, might actually have, you know, create more problems in the longer run. It's again, a longer term approach, Effie. Uh, You know, if we look at it, instead of a quarter by quarter approach, I think many companies are... Uh, uh, shifting the lens to having a slightly longer term approach that not just in chasing the quarterly results, am I sacrificing uh, or causing issues uh, for my shareholders and other stakeholders in the midterm?
0: Very interesting what you say. What I hear from you, Helen, is, is really what we as individuals, as people, are shifting. We are valuing, you know, having this resilience as an individual, as a team in our workplace, as a community in our life. Mm -hmm. And and we want to take this in our hands. So I see this spillover of all these social uh, um, values that are are forming and and becoming, you know, on the coming to to the top of the hierarchies, spilling over to our investment uh, behavior.
1: Absolutely, we call it value-based investing. And I think a lot of companies are also having a value-based approach in terms of their mission, what drives their business plan and so on. Because I think everybody realizes uh, you know, that uh, you, know, you, you, you do serve uh, stakeholders apart from just shareholders. You know? So it's a stakeholder economy. Uh, not just shareholder economy. And you see the younger generation. Um, you know, I was doing a lot of next gen programs uh, in my banking days with the family offices, whether from the ultra, ultra high net worth to you know, the next gen on the main street, the, the, the regular uh, you know, uh, people that we see. The value base for them is, is, is much more important. They are less likely to buy a stock in a company that has scandals around how they damage the environment or how they treat employees unfairly, or you know have uh, you know questionable practices in terms of uh, you know uh, engaging um, uh, labour or others. Mm-hmm. So we do see that shift happening, and I think the family offices that we work with in our fund and so on, um, that shift is happening from the next gen onto the the, the senior you know the senior gen. Because the senior gen obviously are the wealth creators and there is a huge wealth transfer, as we all know, uh, happening uh, from the the baby boomer or the the, the older Gen X uh, to the millennial uh, uh, generation happening over the next decade. And the the millennials are going to look at investing very differently. Uh, They will filter through the value base. They will filter through a, a sense of responsibility Uh, Much more, and I think in a way they are more ambitious because they want to do more with their capital than just generating more capital, they want to be achieving more with their money than just making more money, they want to be able to use that as a lever, uh, to maybe you know solve some of the planet's problems that we face. And we know a lot of that is fairly urgent. I mean, it's you know, climate, for instance, global warming. Uh, we we live with the consequences day in. I've never seen bigger typhoons and bushfires than we've seen in the past couple of years. So these are very, you know, warning signs uh, that the planet, that nature is actually sending us. And I think this is something that probably um, both the tech as well as the capital side can converge to help to you know drive it forward. Helen,
0: I'm seeing from my fintech. Uh, uh, lenses and, and uh, quite a focus that I have on, on wealth management and capital markets, I'm seeing uh, new software for portfolio optimization focused on ESG, mm-hmm. which is a signal mm-hmm. that there is demand out there as as you are confirming uh, too, from those that are managing um, capital at, at um, um, a larger uh, scale. But yes. what about accounting? What is going on there? Because that you know, is, is, is a tail that can wag the dog also in, in public markets, at least.
1: Uh, very interesting you mentioned that because I think one of the pain points in this uh, is that for a long time uh, people complain about uh, the lack of universally recognized standards Uh, In terms of disclosure, which actually is a pain point if you want to mobilize capital at scale, because uh, investors are less likely uh, to invest uh, massively into things that they simply don't know how that benchmark against their other uh, investments uh, and so on. So, I think recently um, the IFRS, which is the global accounting standards body, have reached out to the industry uh, in a consultation paper for which Go Impact have already responded uh, in terms of uh, uh, trying to work on a set of global standards for financial reporting and financial dis- and disclosure around sustainability. Um, you know, which actually, if you look at it, it would be good for IFRS to try to. Uh, take a lead in driving this. They have long been established as a global accounting and financial reporting standard body. Uh, And I think this is probably a a move in the right direction uh, so that, uh, you know, we hopefully can look forward to um, better standards for investors to be able to uh, apply to.
0: Yeah. And and of course, more transparency in general, which is in general, a trend that we see in in fintech that is unstoppable. It's just a question of at what granularity will it get to, especially in the ESG um, uh, sector. It, it, Helen, in it, I mean, as you said, ESG not only is subjective but it's very broad. Um, it, it's about you know the environment. It can be about People, the team, the employees, your customers, your partners, your, your supply chain, and so on. What have you seen over the past year? Where have you seen more focus, more concern, more um, interest in terms of impact? Is it energy, for example? Is it you know how you treat people? Where?
1: Okay, I need to answer that question by two layers because on, on an investor education level and Go Impact is very much driving that in a series of learning modules that are being rolled out across Asia PAC as well as the Middle East in helping the finance industry and family offices to better uh, acquaint with this and what actually is out there. So they're case-based learning modules uh, on different accreditation platforms. That are being rolled out. On that, on the investor learn education side, it's broad because people are interested in how supply chain sustainability can affect their in- investment portfolio. People are, of course, interested in climate, renewable energy, clean energy, what exactly is investable out there. People are also interested in healthcare uh, with COVID. I mean, public healthcare as well as private healthcare have really shot uh, right up the agenda of priorities for a lot of people. Um, So in terms of investor education, the landscape, it's actually quite broad. Um, So much so that we actually grouped the 17 SDGs into five pillars in order to roll out the the learning management system. But in terms of funds, for for instance, uh, and we are launching one in Singapore shortly under the Variable Capital Corporation, uh, the VCC fund structure. uh, In terms of funding, uh, we still see Uh, climate, uh, energy, um, as well as health, uh, being um, the the lower hanging fruits, because uh, for one simple reason, the urgency of climate and um, energy transition, it's really knocking on our doors. And I think it's easy for investors to appreciate uh, that. Um, And health, um, again, COVID has been a huge accelerator uh, into you know, channeling more of the capital, channeling more of the resources uh, into this area in order to plug some of the gaps really that COVID has uh, exposed uh, for us to see. So, you know, in terms of the, the, the investment side, we do see those as lower hanging fruits. Does that answer your question a little bit?
0: It does, it does, it does. And it gives also a great leeway to, to hear more about the, the, the activities that you're doing Um, through Go Impact as a platform and as an ecosystem, you already mentioned the educational uh, aspect. Is that something that is offered at the B2B level? Is it a B2C offering? How does it work?
1: Right now, it's at a B2B level um, because we believe uh, in the the lower hanging fruits are really the asset owners as well as the finance industry. Okay, so finance industry all needs accreditation. Uh, they need to get the license uh, renewed on an annual basis. So it, it's only natural that accreditation platforms uh, would have something um, actually on um, the um, uh, uh, ESG learning uh, in order uh, for them to complete the accreditation that is needed. So that you know, is it, what we're doing uh, at a B2B level. But I think from a, a more massive adoption level, uh, you know, podcasts like this, you know, uh, uh, kind of other uh, channels that we see, they are also very effective uh, uh, occasions for people to be better uh, informed, uh, to, to see the latest trends, to see what exactly uh, is happening. Um, so I really believe that investor education is an important uh, pain point that we are actually working to plug uh, in, in fact that comes before the funds and everything because the better informed the investor the better they are to invest more right an uninformed investor will invest very little uh, if at all um, so I think you know that's you know always been day one uh, one of our mission to try to do that uh, uh, as one of the key pillars of go impact apart from the funds uh, that we are you know um, offering
0: and the funds that you're offering are they uh publicly traded um, uh, funds? Are they investing in uh, publicly traded companies? Is it a mixture of private and public? Tell us a little bit more.
1: Yeah, because we actually are one of the first uh, approved by the Monetary Authority of Singapore, by the MAS, uh, as one of the first ESG Asia funds under the VCC structure. So under the VCC structure, you can have multiple funds uh, within one uh, co- set of constitution. So the first one that we launch is a listed equity fund, uh, basically because we have a very good Nordic partner in our team. And as we know, the Nordic countries are really stellar examples of investing in ESG portfolios long before it becomes trendy. If you look at companies like Nordea uh, and so on, where our, our, our PM and our uh, partner comes from. Um, you know, it, they have been long been invested in this and build out their own uh, set of tools, if you like, um, to, to manage uh, those portfolios. So we're actually leveraging that and trying to bring it to the public more through this first fund, which is a listed equity fund. But there'll be more to come, definitely. Yes.
0: What is, is there a focus, whether it be a regional focus, geographic focus, or thematic focus, or is it really just a broad mandate?
1: Uh, There is a geographic as well as thematic focus. The geographic focus is more uh, Asia biased. I I won't say that it's all completely invested in, so it's listed equities, but not completely. Uh, in Asia, but with an Asia bias, there will be some from Europe as well. Um, But also uh, there's a thematic focus, obviously, uh, energy, uh, climate uh, and health uh, are the sectors uh, that um, this listed equity fund will will, primarily focus upon. And the good thing is through the Nordic expertise, we actually are able to have a proprietary system to assess at least uh, the net positive ESG impact. Of the companies we invest in, so the net positive impact could be in energy saving, could be in better, you know, uh, water sanitation. It can be different aspects, but um, it's it. I think it benefits the investors to know uh, that there is a, a set of tools. At least we are able to apply to the AUM that we are responsible for uh, in terms of the net net positive. ESG impact that has been achieved uh, in the AUM.
0: Thank you, Helen. And I think on this note, we we have to to wrap up and uh, I want to thank you for this uh, great discussion and look forward uh, to to speak to you again and maybe meet in person in Hong Kong at the next uh, Fintech Festival.
1: Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Evie. And, uh, you know, stay safe and healthy. And, um, you know, thank you again for having me.